Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi, friends. It's Sarah May. What up? Um, this is an episode. This is quite a long one, actually. Took a hot minute. Um, and this one is for Ty, which is a great topic. Thank you. Um, so this is all about codependency. Why am I always getting the short end of the stick? Maybe you feel like you get you get hurt and used, and ne- the love never comes back to you. And if you are confused as to what this term means, I will go into it at length, but um, maybe this will strike a chord. It can be really hard to stop yourself from helping somebody out, doing things for them, giving them your time and energy, saying what you said again, and even though they did it again, and you can't help yourself from diving in headfirst, especially if it's a, a love thing. That's because your chemicals take over. And it's also because that is just who you are. A giving and loving person can feel almost like a commitment to being true to yourself. Because when you have all of the understanding of somebody else and their voids and what they need to change, you feel compassion. And even if you didn't want to try and make them happy or fix whatever they have that's going on, you feel like you're obligated, mostly by yourself. And that's because you want to make people happy. It feels good. It feels natural. It's rewarding. And maybe you care about that person. So to fight against this habit will feel wrong and unnatural and also super uncomfortable. It will make you feel like you're not being true to yourself if you don't follow your instincts. And it's kind of like a catch-22 because you want to be your best self. You want to give yourself to others. But then the flip side is you end up doing it all. You're like the saver who comes to the rescue and people keep fucking up again and again. So you will continue to feel disappointed on a loop, just like you're surrounded by children. And yet, you know this doesn't happen to everybody. You end up in these relationships and you end up feeling resentful toward others, but you are hoping it'll change. You're thinking it'll change. Maybe people tell you it will change. And You think eventually you will get the thanks and the validation and the love you deserve, but it just doesn't come. And so the end result leaves you and whoever else you are with um, stuck in this loop. And you'll end up fighting or you'll both feel empty because you're both battling for love and care and attention. And it's not like you're asking a lot. What you're asking for is just kind of what you're giving. So... It's just a destructive and painful situation. Um, and that's that's what I want to give you some new perspective on. This pattern of relating to others is actually based around this kind of invisible wall that is blocking you from the love and happiness and calm that you want. So I want to talk to you about uh, specifically how this occurs and how you can begin to change it. Because it's not about betraying yourself and not being yourself. It's just about making an active and conscious decision with all of yourself. And including, like, what you really want. Putting your goals first. And 
choosing actively um, with all of the information and all of the understanding so you can actually get into relationships with people who will appreciate you and be capable of giving you what you give them. You teach others how to treat you by how you treat yourself. And so currently, you are doing something unconsciously that is preventing you from getting the love you want from your relationships. But it's something that's coming from inside you and not just from those around you, contrary to how it might feel. So just by learning about these dynamics, the dynamics that are codependency, is also going to teach you how to be properly self-protective, like other people you know that have different upbringings. Because often codependents choose bad relationships. They don't choose people who are worthy and capable of reciprocating love. And that's just because codependents want love over anything else. It's their, their primary need and goal. And so that puts you at a disadvantage. It's like uneven ground to build anything from because it's a need versus a, it'd be a great gift, but I will be fine with or without it. So the short of it is, this is a pattern that is a product of a very simple miswiring from your childhood. And it can wreak a lot of havoc because of how it blinds you. And so it leads to a lot of other destructive and unhealthy behaviors and beliefs. So just so you know, the purpose of this episode is to help you build and find healthier, more rewarding relationships, and to help you get more of the love you want and be capable of discerning who is going to appreciate and covet you and who is going to use you. It's also going to teach you to begin to enact healthy, self-loving, self-protective habits so that you can actually ask for love versus versus tell people, oh no, I don't need it, I'm fine. So with that, there are three parts, the what, the why, and the how, the tools. Woohoo! Part one, the what. Does this sound like you? My parents are like teenagers, and all they care about is each other. When I bring up my problems, they laugh at me and tell me I did something wrong. But my problems are really devastating and major. Is it really that hard just to say, I'm so sorry, you'll be okay? I can't stop trying to fix the problem. It's just easier for me, and besides, I like to help. I find myself saying and doing everything I think my partner wants just to make them happy because their happiness makes me happy. But then I start ignoring my needs and I end up feeling disappointed. He won't stop using. He's promised me again and again. I don't know why I believe him each time, but I just can't imagine life without him. I just love him too much. I know she's lying to me. I can feel it. I know she's not going to pick up the phone. But I just keep calling. I can't stop. I'm obsessed. My parents expect me to come to them and do what they want to do. But it's my birthday. Why are they the ones getting upset at me? So I don't know if any of that sounded familiar. But this type of emotional framework, this role of relating called codependency, is actually, um, it's about, it's kind of like a framework for how you learn to relate to other people. It's the way you learn to love. It's how you get to know who you are. And it's how you understand your strengths and your weaknesses. It's also how you choose mates. And because it's based on your kind of emotional framework for relating to other people, the patterns are invisible. It's really hard to see where you're heading, but this road, 
codependency leads to unhappy and short end of the stick relationships. It also leads to a feeling that you have to do what others want and that you have no other choice or everything will fall apart. Because when you're in it, it just feels like you. It feels like you're expressing who you are and you're being loving and caring for another person. The textbook definition is excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner, typically a partner who requires support due to an illness or addiction. But that doesn't really begin to touch on what the real meaning of codependency is. And if you're not into people with illnesses, I will say that the most common codependents just tend to be attracted to other codependents. It's just the behavior pattern, and it happens to be the exact same as addicts or alcoholics. So the term was coined and popularized by Melody Beatty and a slew of other people that were her contemporaries. And I love Melody Beatty. Her books are life-changing. But the covers of these books are so depressing it will make you want to hide in a cave. It's basically like carrying a pink tampon around with you. Nonetheless, I highly recommend you purchase Codependent Amour as a starting point if you are relating to anything I'm saying thus far. It's like a guide to understanding yourself. Um, Amazing book, very depressing cover. I'll put all the links to the reading list in the blog version of this. So what codependency translates to in your life, meaning how you experience it, is a tendency to be focused on the feelings, wants, thoughts, and opinions of others much more than yourself. And be so completely in tuned with what they feel over the feelings of yourself that you are steered by other people and what they think. Like your life is controlled and at the mercy of what they think and feel and want. And you also end up in this uneven relationship in a way that feels similar to an addiction. Like you can't imagine breaking away. You can't imagine losing them. You can't imagine not caring. You feel like desperately tied to them. And in general, you fight. You feel like you are begging for something that is so simple and yet they won't give it to you. And then if you're with another codependent, you'll end up torturing one another by kind of the loop that is you trying to help them and them taking advantage and then you them trying to help you. And it's just like a really disappointing loop of behavior. Which brings me to part two, the why. So if you are working on an issue like this, I just want to give you a heads up. It can be really overwhelming and intense when you start to get to the truth. It'll feel like a super potent, deep, dark pain. But that's a good sign that you're getting healthier because this is based in denial. I just don't want you to retreat if this starts to freak you out and you start to feel like, I can't go there because that's a sign of health and it's short-lived, but it's part of what you just pass through on the way to happiness. I digress. Uh, So I will also caveat, if you are at the beginning of doing self-work, all of this is going to sound, all of what I'm going to say, is going to sound probably unlikely and not you. Like you're going to be like, nah, that's not my situation. I'm way more aware of what's going on inside of me. So just for the sake of this episode, force yourself to remain in a constant state of, hmm, probably. Just stay open just for the sake of getting the most out of this. So if you are the hyper-functional, normal, uh, high-functioning person in the relationship, you are focus-dependent on others. And the others you're focus-dependent on are vice-dependent. So you might both be kind of both. 
Like, you might both be using vices as a soothing mechanism, but focusing on somebody else's problems um, as a way to soothe as well. So you might feel like you are damaged goods. Because both focuses are mechanisms to empower yourself, and they're things you grew in childhood. So it feels like, oh, this is just who I am. I'm a drug user, and I don't have a lot going for me, but I have this other person that I'm obsessed with, and I can focus on their problems. That is actually a fake label for a soothing tactic that you took on growing up. So you feel like this is who you are, but it's actually not. It's a tool you used from childhood. So people usually are attracted to other people because they are able to find this kind of perfect puzzle piece for their particular voids. So it's like the other person you are attracted to is the negative inverse of what you grew up with. So in other words, it's a person that feels comfortable and familiar. It's a relationship that feels comfortable and familiar based on a negative relationship, um, a negative attachment from your childhood. So you're in a role that reminds you of how you coped with a painful relationship during childhood. I'll give you more on those shortly. So this ties to a need to control another person's behavior and how they feel, whether or not they are happy and give you love and affection you desperately crave to feel whole. So that means you're forcing the other person to give you care and love or forcing your help on another person who has said they cannot and will not change. So why do you choose a project versus a healthy partner? Because that is a reliable source of focus soothing that will last you a lifetime. It's all very specific to you and it's subterranean. So you likely have no connection to the fact that this is a deep belief operating inside of you because these dynamics are so old that they're just hidden from view. Having a project keeps you distracted from yourself. And with that, the pain, the hollowness has a name. It's this other person. It's because I can't get this other person to do this thing. So when I say a project, I, I mean, it can also be, it can be a person who needs fixing. It can also be a vice. For example, eating disorders are projects. They keep your attention occupied. It's the label that goes on the pain and anxiety. So the same goes for choosing unavailable people. It's safe in the inner pain. It keeps us broken in our own eyes. And therefore, we know where we are. It's like your life is broken because of the relationship. Your life is broken because you, the person won't commit. That's just a sticker you put on painful feelings that already exist inside of you. The reason you can't see that that's the, the case is because of denial. And now that denial is healed over with a lot of scar tissue from just many years of experience. So it feels like it's just who you are. It feels like it's just who you're attracted to. But that's because you cannot see it anymore. It's just become your identity. To question this as possibly not you will bring everything that keeps you safe into threat. Like it'll bring it into danger because it's right now it's soothing the pain. It's making you feel safe. It's making you feel like I know where I am. This is the life I'm used to. But it's not making you happy. But it'll feel very unsettling to consider this because it's, it's threatening the, the soothing that's keeping you feeling safe. 
It's like, this is where you know where you are. To possibly question change is like, whoa, 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 no, 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 don't go there. And it'll actually trigger a lot of upset in the other person as well. If you start to get healthy, the other person is going to get really pissed off and try and force you back to unhealth. It's a catch-22. The the shitty irony of this is you grew this habit because you were empowering yourself in the face of overwhelming pain and anxiety when you were a child. But now it is what is keeping you from experiencing a rewarding relationship. So if you know you have this problem, it's likely because of a parent or a caregiver or an unstable situation that you experienced over a long period of time that made you feel powerless as a child. So how it comes about is roughly like this. In broad terms, you have a parent who is a child for all intents and purposes and not a parent who is there for you and all about your needs. So what I mean by not a parent is somebody who is either incapable because of an addiction or an illness or depression or unwilling to let go of their stunted needs from childhood. So this is usually because they were young or just emotionally young and or emotionally stunted when you came into their life. And thus they are unprepared to give love to you unconditionally because their tank is empty and they're hungry as fuck. So often young parents and young parent couples are not yet emotionally whole. Like they don't have a full tank to give love to a child. And that's because you need, you need enough in you from your parents to give it. So by emotionally young, I mean people who had parents who were incapable of parenting as well. So therefore, they didn't get their needs met, and they're still asking for them. But this time, they're asking from you, the baby. So if a parent was really, really cold, or uh, they lost their parent really young, or they were maybe raised by really young parents themselves, they might still be just craving the validation that a child craves. And so they're probably using manipulation tactics to force you to love them. They're asking anybody to love them, even though you're a child. So this might show up in your life like, fine, go ahead, make a mess. You just broke my heart. Like they're childlike tactics, but they're ways of trying to force you to behave in a way that cares for them. An adult with a healthy upbringing and healthy attachment to a caregiver will reach a level of maturity when you're when you're full. You feel like you're loved, you know you're good enough, and then you can feel confident enough to give that to others because you're a grown-up and you know your own worth. You can self-sacrifice and you can give love endlessly to a child. But if you don't have that emotionally, you will feel insecure and you will cry out repeatedly for the unmet need. So this inner child will still cry, even though you're a parent, and then that'll make you do things that you are not supposed to, just because you never grew the parts you needed. You never grew the understanding and the maturity. So that's why immature young parents, emotionally young parents, will say things like, in code, you know, I want love. Look at me. I'm special. I need care. I need kisses. It's just this loop that repeats. Parents that didn't get enough love, then they ask their kids for it. Unconsciously, they are competing with you for love from whoever will give it to them. So if one parent is a codependent uh, and the other one is capable of parenting, they might be competing with you for love from the other partner, like as though you're the threat. 
Young couples also have an additional set of issues that are created by the actual codependency of their relationship. So just like teenagers, they will be obsessed by each other and what the other is or is not doing. Sound familiar? Codependency and a lack of love to give. It's like a battle of, but I took care of you, now I need love. And no, you give me love. Take care of me, that's why I chose you. So in other words, you the child become invisible and all that exists is the codependent relationship on a crappy, angry loop. And when it comes to couples who are codependent with each other, it's like a drug addiction. It's their number one distraction. They cannot stop engaging in the loop. For example, let's say one parent is the caregiver and one is the never-satisfied, unattainable royal. This loop will keep both people soothing and it'll feel so right because they're used to chasing the other object with a sticker called happiness, but they never catch it. So they always feel desperate and unhappy. So they're continually chasing each other's tails in a circle. But for you, you're crying out, maybe you're suffering, and your needs are unmet and you're invisible. So you will feel, by default, not lovable because parents are supposed to take care of kids. So most kids change their behavior so that they might be seen. This is a survival tactic. You have to be seen to be cared for. You're a child. So what this creates in you, the child, is a belief that you are not loved. Like, why won't you take care of me? Why don't you love me enough? What did I do wrong? And this is when kids start to interpret. They start to rationalize. It just doesn't make sense why a parent wouldn't take care of them if they're suffering. Therefore, they have to make up a logic for them to feel safe and sane and not go crazy because it's it's life-threatening. It's like your parent is your caregiver. So people who have emotionally stunted parents without tools for coping also create additional layers of damage in their kids because if you're seeking help, you're trying desperately to get help from a parent and your parents don't have the skill set to give you help or buffer the hard stuff or make you feel safe in the world that is so overwhelming and dangerous to you, like they can't tolerate it. And so what parents do is tell you in in different words, no, I can't hear that. You're not allowed to suffer. You're not allowed to be afraid. You're not allowed to be vulnerable or worried. Basically say, I can't take care of you. You're not allowed to feel those things. Stop that. And this is like the most painful life-crushing, soul-crushing, excruciating feeling for a child. Out of everything, this is probably the most damaging part of a codependent parent. When they tell you uh, you're not allowed to have those feelings. I shouldn't say that's worse. I mean, it's all pretty bad, but it's not necessarily worse. But when your parents tell you with their words that you are crazy, irrational, asking too much, not a good kid, not allowed to speak out, shouldn't ask them for help because they can't help you. This is when you internalize your own feelings and deny them. And this is when things fester. This is when problems get worse and you start to eat the pain. It makes you feel like you're not worth saving. This is when you start to turn in on yourself and negate your own needs. And this is like the most pervasive habit of codependence is negating your needs and ignoring them and telling yourself they're not valid. Like 
I want someone to hug and soothe me. That's when you start telling yourself, like, I'm, I don't need it. I don't need to. I don't cry. I'm not a weak person. I'm perfect. I can do everything. This is like the rationalization, but it's a very dangerous one because you're a child. And not everybody is able to take care of themselves. You become very resourceful, but the other side of it is sometimes you really do need help and you can't ask for it because you're going to be told no. You know deep down your caregiver is incapable. So this really painful part of this this dynamic as it grows in you is really damaging because you feel unloved, you feel unseen, and then this is when you grow this really deep pain of loss. This is actually when you grow a deep sense of grief. It's like a, a feeling like part of you is, di- is, is has died. And in order to soothe this, you seek love, any kind of love, anything that will make it feel a little bit better. This is usually when you seek out the attention of people who are unworthy of you and your soul. So the structure that is codependency, the way it was built, this is, there are two bullets. This is just the key traits for everything that you honed for survival that is now blocking you from forming healthy and mutually beneficial relationships now. Ready? The first one, reading people's moods, anticipating their thoughts, rationalizing and making sense of their behavior, searching for any information possible to help yourself. The second one is sculpting your behavior to others, making sure you take care of them so that you can receive any kind of love from them in return. For example, becoming a parent's bestie or a mediator or acting out as a bad kid so that people would pay attention to you. This is what you learned in order to earn visibility by any means possible. And this is how you developed the archetypal traits of a codependent. So they were for survival. Because when a kid's survival is threatened, you will rationalize why your parent is not loving you and taking care of you. And you have to do that by any means possible because it's a survival tactic. So you will also take on a different role. Different kids deal with this in different ways, depending on just your DNA, your personality type, and also the the order by which you are born. So if you have an older sibling, you'll take on a different role. But I have four pretty broad ones. So one of these is probably you and the way you approached the situation. The first one, you choose to revolt against the system. Like you say, my family is fucking crazy and I need to get out of here. You'll seek out the help of another person outside of the family unit. But it still hurts. It still makes you feel shitty and unloved. But you at least are wise enough to see the dysfunction and say, "Uh uh-uh, fuck this shit. Like, I need to talk to a teacher, anybody outside of this crazy group. Number two, you take it on as a character trait you possess. Like you just believe I am a great caregiver and that's why I am taking care of my parent. Or the other half of this or what this usually becomes is I am perfect and I am good at everything and I can fix it all. I can control everything and I can take care of everything and if I can't the world will fall apart. So this is the role that also leads to people that get eating disorders. Number three, you take it as a sign that you are a bad kid. You're unlovable. I'm the black sheep. I'm just a fuck up. I'm a lie and a cheat and I can't do anything right. And it means you internalize the lack of love and you also probably do it as a way to get attention. 
Number four, I'm a baby. I can't do anything. In other words, you become a person who infantilizes themselves as a way to procure love and attention. It's like an easy way to force someone to give you affection. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. (laughs) So you might have lived out years of one of these stories and it wasn't really yours. For example, I was a bad kid and a perfect kid because both of those stories were things I adopted to empower myself in the face of painful circumstances. But they created a truth later on that led to a lot of damaging behaviors that just seemed like they were me. Because to be seen, we will often play act. We play act the role we choose depending on how to identify ourselves as a person. It's like we'll take on a different role also based on how our parents react to us. So if you are vulnerable or if you are the second born, you will be you might become the baby. Whereas if you're the first born, you might become a savior. So there's more about roles and what they mean in the episode called Toxic Love. That's number 72. So I recommend you listen to that one if you want to know more about that. So the good news is you are seeking out help and understanding right now by listening to this. But I recommend, if this is sounding very true for you, that you go a step further and go to therapy because it's really the best way to move through this aggressively. Just nip it in the bud and get it get her done. And if not therapy, just I really strongly suggest you read a shit ton of books and try out some help groups, specifically Al-Anon. And the reason I say Al-Anon is because family members of alcoholics, children of um, alcoholics, have manifest the exact same dynamics as children of codependents. So it will be like you've grown up with everybody in the room. It's pretty cool. So with that, um, this is why you choose bad relationships despite knowing that your family is fucked up and that you have these issues. It's because your eyes are tuned to only specific information. You meet somebody, you see their strengths, and mostly you see how much they like you and that they are willing to give you love and affection. And that is your core need that drives everything. From there, you might decide you can change them. They become a project because you can do anything after all. Or just them liking you is enough because it feels so good. It feels like such a relief And it soothes the overwhelming pain of loneliness. So then you give this person your best. They take advantage. You make them happy, which makes you happy. But then you wait for them to reciprocate the love. And you continue to please them. But time passes and eventually you feel alone, unloved, empty. And that's because you're in an unbalanced relationship. And one that you feel at the mercy of. They have issues that don't change. You beg and plead and continue to fix them. It's not rewarding, and it feels like a sentence doomed to repeat. So how does this start? Because you are focused on their feelings. Do they like you? Not your feelings. Do I like them? And that is because your body is too full of longing, and you abandoned being in that body a long time ago during childhood. And that is the way you empowered yourself to look at what was in your control. But because you're not used to feeling what hurts inside of your own body, you have a tendency to choose people who hurt you and are dangerous for you, like drug addicts or people that take advantage of you, 
and people that don't necessarily align with your values. Because when you're not looking at how you feel, you're only looking at how others feel. And when you are longing desperately for this soothing, it makes you dependent. You're not choosing people for the good parts. You'll take anybody who will give you love. And because that bar isn't very high, you become an easy target. Because people who need caregivers like you, leeches, they can smell you a mile away. And they are motivated by a fear of falling apart. And so they suck onto you and attach as hard as they possibly can. Which, for you, probably feels very soothing. Because just like you, they are so locked on getting what they want, they will take anyone who will give them what they never got from their parents. So you're unable to sense how much this relationship really betrays your values and your true wants. You're not sensing your own boundaries, although they are there. So you're acting against yourself unconsciously. Regardless of who you've chosen, maybe it's an addict or a codependent, to rely on somebody else for happiness feels terrible. It makes you do terrible things. It makes you desperate. It makes you controlling. It makes you manipulative. It makes you do, use dirty tactics to keep others close. It makes you try and manipulate them into feeling weaker or feeling sorry for you. And, and that's just because it's trying to maintain the soothing loop. And that's just dependency. Dependency is a sickness that makes you unhappy and weak, and it makes them unhappy and weak. Why? Because dependent people feel like assholes. When you think you are going to get gratitude from the person you're helping, you're actually going to get resent and secret loathing because you're making them more weak and more of what they hate in themselves. Making people increasingly dependent on you will make them hate you and ultimately create a rift between you and your best selves. Like it, It'll actually drive people into worse patterns because it embraces and enables all of the unhealth in both of you. Dependency on somebody else is not love. It's need. It feels dire and desperate. Love is confident and self-assured, and it makes you stronger, not weaker. And happiness is about being whole unto yourself. So if you're looking for a relationship to make you feel whole, this is a fatal flaw in your perspective, and it needs to change. Another person will never make you feel whole. It'll only make you chase and soothe on a loop. So you're looking in the wrong place. If you are just going into a relationship because you feel like you need somebody else to be fulfilled, you will always be settling for less than no matter who you choose. So this process is all about becoming whole, starting on the outside and working your way inwards. Because if you just start with actions, the actions of a healthy, self-loving person, the rest will actually follow. It's amazing. So with that, let's get to part three, the how, the tools. I want to start this section by saying you do actually have control and power in the situation you're in currently, and you can get what you want, but you're just not using it right now because you can't see your own power. So that's what I want to reach inside of you, and I want you to begin to, to practice using these muscles. So before I go to the tools, I just want to offer you this initial exercise reflection exercise. So I want you to uh, reflect on your own time in your journal on your parents and your upbringing and think about what was the coping mechanism you took on in the face of the type of absent parenting you experienced. 
So know that this is something you can undo. The effects can be undone. And the tools you adopted served you at one point, but now you are going to work to let them go. So remind yourself that is your goal to become emotionally healthy and to be in a healthy relationship. Just set your sights on that target and never give up on it, no matter what. And you will have it. I promise. Okay, here we go. Some starting point tools. Number one, the love bank. Get paid. Receiving equally and being cared for likely feels uncomfortable to you. Like, think about it now. Think of the last time you were sick and somebody took care of you. Didn't you feel really bad allowing them to do everything for you? Or think about when somebody is super focused on you and wants to hear about what you're thinking and what you feel. Does that feel awkward to you? If not, then good for you. That is a sign of emotional health. But if so, that's partly likely cultural, but the giving and receiving equally is also a huge codependency issue. By cultural, I mean a lot of British and Asian cultures are often um, non-physical, non-emotional, removed from affection, uh, outward expressed affection. So regardless of where it came from, it could be 99% cultural, how it affects you now has made you incapable of receiving properly. So this is like a muscular workout for you. I want you to think of yourself like you have a love bank. It's like a piggy bank, but it's shaped like a heart. And you have to keep it full. And that is done by receiving as much as you give to others. But you have to teach yourself to receive incoming checks because it is not natural to you now. So when others try to give you things, this is, or do gestures for you, take care of you in any way, this is like a paycheck. And I want you to begin to practice accepting things and valuing them and not negating them or dismissing them or doing them yourself. And just imagine that you are filling up your love bank. Know that you are putting the check in your bank so that you can be full, so that you can give more to others. Don't dismiss the value. Accept and welcome all gifts. All of them are like checks, paychecks. Additionally, if you have given a lot of yourself to another person without repayment, you need to stop paying them because this is going to ruin you financially. You, if you keep giving to another person, you keep fixing things for them, you keep giving them your time and they are not returning it, that is ruining you. You have to stop. That is a boundary. That is something you have to remember. Now I have to stop doing that for that person. They are not reciprocating it. It's not a beneficial relationship. It's not an equal relationship. It's not a loving relationship. If they are, uh, if you are expecting them to give you something in return and they're not, ask for things in return. Ask and wait to receive. And if they don't, then they are not worthy of your gifts. Right now, because of your background, you are constantly running low on your your bank. You have no funds because your receiving department isn't being used. Instead of looking for ways to give help to others, I want you to start to look for people who give to you. And that is just because you're not good at it now. Like you need to practice accepting it and looking for it and valuing it, even though it's not something that feels good or natural. But you have to start acting as if as a start. I want you to continue to ask yourself, how am I feeling? 
do I like this other person? What would I like that person to do? It's not about controlling the gifts they give or deciding that those gifts are not good enough. It's about learning to graciously accept and value those gestures and not negate them and not not accept them because that is actually how you build how others build value in themselves. Like you're giving them a gift by accepting things. Even if it's imperfect, it's not what you want it to be. By accepting things, you help them build confidence. So in you, it'll feel really uncomfortable, but treat it like it's an art. Practice it like you're acting in a play. Currently, you're fixated on output. How are they feeling? How can I sculpt myself to their needs? How can I make it better? But that is... You have that in excess. What you've got to start growing is how can I accept the gestures of others and um, and wait for others to do things for me instead of doing them myself. That's number one, the love bank. Number two, regulators. Um, this is a confusing title. You Okay, you're a regulator or you're an officer in the city of me. Uh, okay, that's really confusing. Anyway, everyone is a cop. Everyone is like a cop for the city of you and your body and yourself and your life. And that is all your jurisdiction covers. You're not a regulator. You are not a cop for somebody else's life and their self and their everything they do. It's not for you to solve. It's not for you to enforce laws. It's not for you to regulate and decide should be different. So this is like a visualization tool to help you begin to practice exercising a lack of control over other people's lives. Embrace your job, which is to protect and serve you. And I say this as a way to help you remember, but let people make make messes. Let them destroy their lives. Let them explode everything around them because that is for them to figure out and them to solve. It's not your job. Your job is to take care of you and worry about you and help you be soothed and okay no matter what they do. Stop concerning yourself with their lives and obsessing about whether or not they're fucking them up because this is truly how people change. If you intervene, all it does is enable the bad behavior and you are only in charge of your life and your problems. That's what needs the most intention, attention. And truly, if you if you do focus on helping yourself and creating healthier ways of relating to others, they actually will be changed by it. It's an amazing outcome. Number two. That was number two. The number three. Internal veggie bed. <laughs> this is a, an exercise for building boundaries. So this is like a visual metaphor for new practice that I want you to take on. And that is a practice of building new healthy boundaries. And this might be a lot, but try starting with one new one each week. So I want you to think of yourself like a rich and beautiful garden, but you're not keeping out the weeds. And that's because you need to put up some retaining walls, which are boundaries, and then your garden will thrive. Then you will be rich with fruit and all the other metaphors. So this is like a once in a week assignment that you will do in your journal. But basically, so much of being a codependent is being a martyr and not having healthy boundaries, letting other people take advantage of you, doing things for others that you should, you told yourself you wouldn't do again, allowing others to walk all over you, betraying what you said you would do, because you feel like you have to. 
But that's because you are not placing any boundaries and enforcing them. So that's, that's your fault. So as a way to start this process, it's not going to feel like you, just like everything else is going to feel foreign and very uncomfortable. But I want you to start by, just start small, choose a new boundary to enforce each week. Like for example, I'm not, my new boundary is I, I will not be manipulated into helping others when they use, um, negative tactics, tactics, and they don't respect my time. So for example, let's say a person calls you at four in the morning or two in the morning about whatever is going on with them. If this is who they are, if this is the habit, it's not like a real emergency. Like I feel like if somebody I know would do that, I'd be like, oh my God, something was seriously wrong. But the boundary, the way you enforce it is you do not reward that behavior. You don't call the person back. You don't answer their phone calls unless they apologize. So if you fail the first time at setting a boundary, like if you feel like I have to answer the phone, you just might not be ready yet. But just keep your eyes locked on the goal, which is to set the boundary. And eventually you will be ready and you will know when you're ready. Just give yourself time. Number four. Oh my God, I love this one. Okay, this is a new one that I love. So remember to let go. Remember to let go. So imagine you're holding a rope and there's a bull that's about to be let out of a gate. Remember to let go. This is a meditation that I do all the time. It's so profound. It's um, basically right before anything big happens, anything like your expectations are about to be dashed, you're hoping for something a lot. Anytime you get that feeling, this is your meditation. Remember to let go. And that is just a reminder to accept all outcomes equally and let go of one thing happening over another. Just detach from any potential outcome. Because 99% of the pain comes from you fixating on something happening and then your hopes being dashed. But it's like, truly, whatever is meant to be will be and you will be okay. Before something big happens, like before, let's say you're waiting to hear back about, uh, you know, a second date with somebody or whatever it is, go through the practice of welcoming both outcomes. They're not going to call me back. And I, I'm happy about that. That'll be fine because it wasn't meant to be. If they don't get me, that's, they're not the right person for me. Or if they do call you back, I'm excited about that. I welcome that as well. Maybe we can get to know each other better, but equally embrace both outcomes, no matter what it is. And just go through the exercise of doing this, even though like, let's say a large part of you is like attached to one side of those outcomes, still go through the practice of welcoming both, accepting both ahead of time. And what you will find is after that outcome happens, no matter what it is, you will feel so much more okay with it. You will feel like, I got this. I was prepared. I am com- I've already gone through the mental process of accepting that thing. So much of the pain comes from our anticipation and our resistance to it. But if we practice knowing we'll be okay and going through the process of like uh, experiencing that thing ahead of time, it is remarkable how okay the thing is. Remember to let go. Good times and bad times. Do this no matter what it is. Any kind of big thing I want you to, even if you feel like, 
you are going to get the thing. Even if you think the outcome will be good, go through this practice. It'll keep you so solid always. Number five, date yourself. So this is a tool I want you to do from this point forth forever and ever. Literally, I want you to date yourself, treat yourself like you're dating yourself, and you are hot shit. Like, part of codependency is believing that what you want is wrong or it's too much or you don't deserve it. And that because, that's because it comes from negating your own needs growing up. But now that is hurting you and your own value in yourself. So it's just a habit. It's a habit that creates a perception and it can be retrained. And it needs to be retrained. Because the way you treat yourself should be that you are of immense value and you are your number one. You are the most important person in your life and everything you want is valid. That is the truth. If nobody's ever told you that before, I am telling you that right now. Yes, it's true. You deserve to be loved and coveted and treated exactly as you treat others. You deserve somebody who loves you as much as you love others. That is what you deserve, exactly as you are. You don't have to change anything. You should have that now without changing a thing. It's not about doing anything for anybody. It's not about what you do or you don't do. It has nothing to do with your actions or how you look or what you have. Your value is constant. It has nothing to do with anything else. You don't have to earn anybody. So this is this tool. I want you to just... Date yourself. Treat yourself like you really dig yourself and you're trying to impress yourself all the time, every day, in as many ways as possible. Be very kind and gentle and sweet and thoughtful to yourself. If you're cold, get yourself a jacket, a nice one, a soft one. If your feet hurt, change into more comfortable shoes. If you are bored and lonely on a Saturday night, rent yourself a movie and get cook yourself something divine. You are a prize. And I want you to make everything clear to you that is the truth. Just listen intently to your needs. Even if your brain is obsessed by thoughts of somebody else, and even if you're still like in that place of pain and um, craving the other person that's going to make you whole, just go through the motions regardless of courting yourself and help yourself in ways that will alleviate some of that pain, like going out with friends, all of the external, even if it's not affecting you inside yet, all of the external still helps. Just keeping up the appearances to your own eyeballs. It'll be internalized as, and it'll be helpful. Number six, put your shoes on. When you're running around in pain, stop and put your shoes on. That was my rap. So this is a tool to um, remind you in those moments when you are overwhelmed and fearful and you're being driven by, but what if, but I can't, I like that pain of, of feeling like you have no power in a situation. Um, remember to put your shoes on, attach your feet to the ground and arm your feet, put, help yourself. That's what I, that's the main thing is make yourself the most capable of standing on solid ground because that's how you can jump over the hurdles that come your way. Not when you are wrapped up in the emotion and freaking out and panicking. So just be more grounded in where you are and help yourself uh, soothe. Don't skip to the future or try to anticipate what's coming around the bend. Don't further engage in the issue. Just step back and connect to your truth and uh, soothe. Everything you need to know 
is already inside of you. It doesn't require anything come from somebody else. You have all of the power you need in how you deal with yourself. So let go of others and simply try to define how you truly feel and what needs to happen based on that truth. Fear will cloud your judgment and it'll make you feel like you need to fix something or everything's going to hurt too much or you just can't. But in times like these, all you have to do is empower yourself. Put your shoes on means take a step in the right direction in a way that will support you and help you feel more calm and okay. And for me, it was head to an Al-Anon meeting, which is like, I can't even, it's like diving into like a cool ice pool when you're like on fire. It's so calming and grounding. Call a wise friend, go to yoga class, read, return to your journal and write down what you know to be true. Read what you know to be true to yourself. Just empower yourself in as many ways as you possibly can because your power lies in your own calm, balanced mind and in the truth. So all you have to do is just get grounded and closer to that truth, no matter what it is. So when we, when we manipulate ourselves or when we want to hide from the truth, or we manipulate others to keep them, that's when we are removing ourselves from our actual power in the situation. It's like we think we're helping ourselves, but we're actually moving ourselves farther away from what will eventually help us. Your job is to stay aware of what's happening. And if you're being manipulated over and over again, it's probably created a false reality. And so the outcome is you probably don't trust yourself. But what you really need to do is get back in touch with who you really are and how you really feel based on reality minus anybody else and what they say. So this is just another reason for you to get to a safe and grounded place and support yourself where you can really understand what you think. That's number six. Number seven, the magic key. The magic key to unlock obsession. A huge part of codependency is obsessing and fixating on other people and what we want to have happen, and it can drive you fucking crazy. So when you're doing it, I just this is the key to unlocking it. This is a way to kind of talk yourself through unlocking obsession. So obsession is usually telling you something about yourself. It's telling you you are resisting a truth. So it's a way for you to not arrive at accepting a truth and it's self-protective. It's a way to say like, no, 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 I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. It can't be. It's also a way we deal with trauma. It's part of like coping with um, new shock. So if it's that, it's part, it's just going to go away. It has to happen. But if it's the other kind, it's self-protective. So the antidote is understanding what the truth is first spotting that you're doing it at all and that you're hiding from a truth and um, knowing that it's an automatic reaction to something that is intolerable to you and that you you refuse to accept and then after you recognize that trying to soften and open to what it's what what the truth is what is it trying to tell you this is a way for you to it's a roundabout way for you to come to a realization. So it was like a, an actual indirect path to dealing with a really intense feeling of pain. So the way you can deal with it is by 
actually getting to see what the real feeling is and like addressing the truth and then releasing it. And that means like acknowledging it, that it's causing you this pain and just letting like processing and letting it go. So unlock obsession by noticing it and then seeing what the truth is that you don't want to accept. Before I wrap up the tools, I wanted to offer you one thing to look for in the future. Codependency is thought of by a lot of people as the first stage of grief, but the second stage after you start to get really healthy is anger. So you might find as you move through your particular damage from childhood, you will experience intense hatred and fury and just rage. And that's because you are safe enough and strong enough to look at what you weren't able to see before. But it is a sign of emotional health. So don't be worried. It'll be fucking intense. But don't be worried. It is a sign that you're heading towards releasing it. It's like, it's healthy. One last tool I wanted to mention also is anybody um, who hasn't listened to it, please listen to the Personal Priorities Pond uh, episode and... It's the one, I think it's a power-up maybe, but it'll really help you start to grow stronger for this process because it's, it can be really hard to feel like you can be without another person when you're really addicted to another person. So in closing, I want to first say thank you to all of my awesome new sponsors. It's so cool. Justine and Ariella and Ty and Jonathan and Holly. You are all amazing and I heart you. Thank you so, so, so much. And um, no matter who you are, I highly recommend if you are a codependent that you go to Al-Anon help groups because it's specifically um, helpful to codependents. And p- try therapy. Just try finding a good therapist because I think it's really important to get the shit done. Because otherwise, if it takes too long, it's like you feel like I just shouldn't even try. I'm just stuck this way. It makes you lose hope. Um, and a large part of codependent behavior is actually just grieving. It's literally processing what you never got during childhood. It's like you're releasing this desperate clinging and that's this old, very painful clinging. So it's like a reaction to feeling like you're not getting, uh, you're, you're losing control. Like the, the, the actions of a codependent are like an attempt to control, Um, and resist the feeling of grief. But most of the time, what we feel, because we are controllers as codependents, is extreme. So most of the time, what you perceive is going to hurt is an extreme reaction. And that's just because of codependency. When something isn't in your control, it feels overwhelming, and it feels threatening and painful and too much, and it's going to be terrible. So more than anything, I want you to, as you move forward in life, Just gently remind yourself as often as you can to soften. Release the need to clench and solve and don't jump to the future. Just let go and remind yourself everything is much more okay than you perceive it to be. Your job is just to do your best. It's not to control everything and make it better. It's just to take care of you and enjoy this day as best as you can. So much of this process will be about nurturing yourself and not judging yourself. It's about knowing you are strong enough now to support yourself through this learning process. This is going to be like a mental excavation, and it'll bring up some overwhelming stuff, 
but it leads to lightness and self-love and a life that will make you happier than you knew was possible. You are capable of taking care of yourself and you are capable of growing to know the real you and of receiving love equally. And just it starts by saying you want that, that it's your goal, and then committing to that process. So don't turn back. Don't say you don't want it. Don't say you can't do it. It can and it will be yours, but it starts with acknowledging that you are this way and understanding how it happened and then choosing to be active in retraining new healthier habits. And I know that's true for a fact because I did it myself and it's it's so worth it. So this is not about being a different person. It's not about not needing anybody or never being needed by a loved one. We need human connection and we thrive with relationships and feeling like a vital part of somebody's life is a great thing, but it doesn't require being dependent. It doesn't require being unable to be alone. Like having that perspective is vital to your own happiness and health and well-being. So the goal is really just that balance so you can stay safe and strong unto yourself. So you can be proud of who you are and grow that self and just give more to those you love and they can give more to you and you can you can honor them by receiving it. So this process will feel like your trust falling backwards and it will feel awkward. But train in the healthy persona just via actions and the rest will follow. With that I wish you luck and love, and I hope this helped you. And if you know anybody that would benefit from it, please, please share it. Um, And I believe you can do it, no matter who you are. It's just about deciding you want it. And I think this is a great gift in disguise. So be brave and smile. 